Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Also, you lied to me. It's not Lake Megan from Unknown Origin, which is probably <laughs> Native American. No, it's not. Lac Megantic is French for Lake Megan. So, I have a friend named Megan, uh, who does not listen to this podcast, probably will never listen to this podcast, and I just wanted to, uh, to say hi to you, and also that your taste in all media is extremely bad. <laughs> but they did name a lake after them. Congratulations, Megan. <laughs> Alright. We're all recording, and we can do, yes. and we can yeah. do podcasting. Alright, let's mm. go. Alright, everyone. Uh, what, welcome to Well, There's Your Problem, a podcast about... Episode 7. Episode 7, yes. A podcast about engineering disasters. Uh, I'm Justin Rosniak, also do not eat on the Twitter, pronouns he and him. Uh, and that that's who I am. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Start, starting out strong here. Alice Caldwell-Kelly, Alice Avazandam on Twitter, she and her. Uh, Liam Anderson, uh, Do Not Eat's roommate, uh, and general agitator of big, dumb, fucking trans folks. Uh, pronouns are he, him. Respect our pronouns, please. I live as a man, and I expect you to respect that. This is recorded on International Men's Day, too. That's a good point, yes. We should all be just fired into the sun with some sort of extravagant... <laughs> Gerard Butler did nothing wrong. The ba Project Babylon was a good idea. <laughs> you just get every single man loaded into Hunter S. Thompson's funerary cannon. <laughs> so that's efficiency. Hmm. I will get the VC money for this right away. All right. So um, this this episode, I'm I'm tentatively titling uh, "Railroading in the Age of Loneliness" because <laughs> it's about MMA, mm, that sport we love, and one man crews. No, <laughs> no, it's about the Montreal, Maine, and Atlantic Railroad. That's a stupid mm. name. Yeah. I mean, is that more or less dangerous than mixed martial arts? Slightly more. I don't think forty-seven people have been killed. In martial arts in one go oh well i don't know see that's because you don't believe in the wonders of my awesome fists yeah it's, it's because he doesn't believe in the kumite yeah well, bastards. yeah well this this yeah. kind of shit could happen this is what happens when you don't take a warrior code douchebag absolutely so like it, it it's th this podcast the dynamic here is two warrior monks and one baffled engineer lack <laughs> <laughs> megan is a town in quebec it used to have a charming main street. It doesn't anymore. What happened to the main street? Well, we're gonna learn. We love learning. Oh, good. If you can't tell from the picture. <laughs> I, I genuinely cannot. That, you know, it, that maybe it's normal. just like that. <laughs> I mean... It's in California. That's very normal. Hab <laughs> 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 suck. I mean, there's, um, there's a giant, like, offshore... Uh, refinery uh, in Scotland where they've just been burning off excess fuel because they can't sell it. So it does look a lot like that. So Jesus maybe that's just. Christ. Yeah, they've just been burning it off. It's great. That, wow. I just want to report uh, good news for those of you watching on the YouTube and not on Apple Podcasts where we are now. I have figured out the laser pointer function. <laughs> and there's also a pen so I can John Madden up the place. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. So anyway. He's too powerful. Kill yeah, him. so yeah. our story starts in St. John, New Brunswick in 1885. Oh, God. Pictured here. Yeah, pictured here, of course. Lovely town. In, a, in 1885. Uh, yes, yes. Notable 
1885 features such as the reversing falls bridge and um and like a, a, a station wagon so in 1885, the Canadian Pacific Railroad had just completed its main line from Vancouver to Montreal, right? And Montreal's a big, busy port. It was closed from December to May because, you know, ice. Uh, we're, ta- we're taking care of that problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Slowly but surely. Oh, Stan Rogers. <laughs> they were competing with the Grand Trunk Railway. Not to be confused with the Grand Funk Railroad. Um <laughs> That was a that was a reach. I liked it. You know they they were they were named after the Grand Trunk. Anyway, so uh, the Grand Trunk Railway had a line from Montreal to Portland, Maine, right, which is an ice-free port, and they had an indirect line to Halifax, which went around the top of Maine, called the Intercolonial Railway, right? Uh, problematic already. Oh well, that they had a whole class of cars in Canada called colonist cars, right? God damn it, dude! Yeah, yeah, it was designed <laughs> to bring people out west so that they'd settle there. Thanks for nothing, Wexit. The Canadian Pacific Railroad decides to build a new railroad to an ice-free port. That was Saint John, and they decided, "Fuck borders." That's some fake-ass nationalist shit. <laughs> Praxis. <laughs> Uh, this practice. They plan to build a railroad from Montreal straight across Maine and into St. <laughs> John, right? Yeah, just it, through a succession of Stephen King novels. Yes. Yes. And Yeah, that part of Maine gets fucking weird in a hurry. And they decide to start it out where the rail ended already at a place called Lac Magantique, which is right here. So this line was incredibly remote. Like, I cannot overstate how far away from anything this is, right? And it was also incredibly busy, mostly with freight. Um, You know, it seems contradictory, but because, especially during the winter months, it was like everything going into Quebec went through this line because, of course, the Grand Trunk Railroad's line was much more indirect because it had to go all the way up and then come all the way around. I I guess since, you know, this went into the United States, but then back out, you didn't technically have to pay, you know, U.S. duties. Whereas if you brought it in at Portland, you did. And and in this case, you get your, um, whatever your 19th century Amazon shipment is faster. Your, cocaine. Your, your big, it's yeah, cocaine. your big thing of, of, of laudanum and cocaine and, like, steam-powered dildos and stuff. <laughs> Look it up, they're real folks. Mm -hmm. So this is a very successful railroad for a long time until 1958. The St. Lawrence Seaway opens, which means you can bring stuff in from the Great Lakes to Montreal. And as a result, the Canadian Coast Guard's like, hmm, we should start ice breaking on the St. Lawrence River. And they do so. Now Montreal has an ice-free port all of a sudden. So the traffic on the line collapses almost immediately. Uh, The bustling port city of St. John becomes a backwater uh, the line sort of fades into obscurity for a while. There's not many trains on this line. So, there's this family called the Irvings, right? Well. <laughs> <laughs> and the Irvings own the province of New Brunswick in Canada, right? I, it cannot yes. be overstated how much control this one family has over almost all the industry, the population, 
of New Brunswick, right? They own the gas stations, yeah. the trucks, the trains, the lumber industry, shipbuilding industry. They own rental properties. They have oil refineries, and they own all of the newspapers and all the agriculture. Yes, it's 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 yes. a company town, but for an entire for an province. entire province, it's a feudal society. We don't have a, a slide illustrating this, I don't believe. But when uh, Roz and I were in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. Uh, there's these uh, Irving oil tanks on a hill overlooking the city, and they light them up at night just so you know who your glorious masters are. Cool. It is It is the most fucking, like, Canadian dystopia I can imagine. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting because I looked at that and I was like, that's a great place for a billboard, but a terrible place for an oil tank. <laughs> 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 they will get their revenge on the Newfoundland Railroad one way or another. Apparently, yeah. Uh, if you want to learn a lot more about the Irvings, I was on an episode of the Grubstakers podcast, a podcast about billionaires, uh, about the Irvings, which I'll link in the description. I think it might be a bonus episode. You might have to give them money. Yeah, you, it's worth it. It's really good. And I, I, the weirdest thing about the Irvings is that they did put that giant logo across the entire province. Um, yes, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's just that's to scale. Um, you know, a lot of people died making that. It's, it, it was either oh. that or put it on the moon. These are the people that managed to uh, a barge carrying uh, two new turbines from St. John to a nuclear generating station that the Irvings uh, they owned the barge and they managed to tip it uh, and they sent the turbines and the road transport vehicle right into St. John Harbor. Whoops. Oops. Yeah, whoops is a thing this family does a lot. Uh, it's gone poorly. <laughs> but speaking of whoopses, so in 1960, uh, the Irving Group of Companies, because there's several Irving corporations that are all like, kind of, you know, they work together. It's it's kind of, it's yeah, a family. Yeah. It's several family businesses, all the same family. In 1960, they built the St. John Refinery, right? Um, seen here being comprised of tubes which blew up a couple of uh years ago actually and here's here's how the one of the irving owned newspapers uh described that explosion as, as, <laughs> as, a, as a thanksgiving miracle because no no one died no yeah. one died directly don't worry we'll get there hmm <laughs> because I, I i'm sure all of the stuff that came spewing out of that is is fine as we know, there are no such things as long-term environmental impacts of engineering no. disasters, thank God. Look, don't, don't question the miracle. I have been very close to an exploding refinery, and I was fine. You didn't even hear it. I don't want to... No, I, I, I like, just passed out, like, drunk right before the refinery exploded, actually. <laughs> this is why you survived, though. So you, you were doing the sort of, um slapstick comedy thing where you like the drunk guy like stumbles out covered completely in soot and like missing his pants yeah <laughs> that's just him on a wednesday <laughs> once again maker's mark sponsor the podcast <laughs> so this refinery right mostly received and refined uh crude oil from saudi arabia i believe for most of his existence shipped in on big boats the product was shipped out on barges. There's no trains involved, right? Yeah, that, that makes it less socialist also. This is true. Did yes. it not get any uh, Balkan stuff? We're getting there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have ruined the pacing again, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and non-binary pals. Okay, so um, as traffic's declining on the main international railroad, uh, 
Canadian Pacific Railroad tries to abandon it in 1994. Uh, the Canadian no Transportation Commission refused, so they sold it in 1995. And they split it uh, down the middle at Brownsville Junction, right? The eastern half was sold to two companies, which were both owned by the Irvings, right? Which were the New Brunswick Southern Railway and the Eastern Main Railway. Uh, meanwhile, the western half was sold to an Alexandria, Virginia Bay short line holding company, oh. <laughs> which sold it again in 2002 to another holding company, which called it the Montreal Main Atlantic Railroad, the MMA. Yeah, a pleasantly retro logo, though. It, it is actually kind of nice. I like it. Yeah, the, the kind of keystone shape. It's a lot better than the fucking giant Irving Chevron. Yeah, I do want to point out that the uh, the holding company used to be called Iron Road Railways. It was uh, establishing the Canadian American, and when they sold it, it was sold to Railworld Inc. This is going to be a super villain story, folks. Well, I, I, th- both of these are like company names in like Railway Empire or Transport Fever or something. <laughs> that does sound about right. Okay, so. Disaster befalls this railroad almost immediately, right? The two largest shippers on the line, which were a pair of paper mills, declared bankruptcy. Uh, MMA laid off 75 of its 350 employees. They reduced salaries by 40%. The railroad continued to struggle, and in 2010, after two more rounds of major layoffs, they received permission to operate with one-man crews. Oh, good. That sounds safe. Yeah, I was about to say... Which, I mean, a, a one-man crew is kind of like, that's not a crew, that's like, just a guy. A guy. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so can you tell us about some of the dangers uh, that might befall one-man crews, especially in, say, a remote area that's not exactly known for, say, emergency services? Yes, I, I will in a moment, but we're going to do history first. Oh, good. God damn it. Yeah. So, <laughs> it used to be that there were five men on a freight train. There's the locomotive engineer, there's the fireman, there's the conductor, there's two brakemen, right? Um, and that's five unions in total. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, the the engineer and the fireman were up front in the locomotive, the conductor and brakeman rode in the back in the caboose, right? Sure. So, so, say, say caboose again. That's that's pleasing to me. Caboose. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one on screen. Hey, I, I've, I've been there. Yes, I've also mm. been there. I've seen that with you. I managed to get someone mad on um, Toronto Housing Twitter about how they have a railroad museum straight downtown that's occupying a whole bunch of land. He's like, this is a policy failure. I'm like, fuck you. Let people have nice things. <laughs> yeah. In- instead of billionaires, it's railroad museums. Every railroad museum is a policy failure. <laughs> I, I can tell you personally... That having gone to Toronto very recently, or Toronto, excuse me, so I'm not a tourist, uh, and seeing the goddamn whatever Jurassic Park where they all have to worship the Raptors and also the Leafs, who, by the way, haven't won a Stanley Cup since the 90s uh, because Mitch Marner will never be the person you want him to be. Uh, this is not the policy failure, folks. No, the policy failure is is Drake's fucked up plane circling the city like an AWACS. I like that. I like the idea of that. Drake's just desperately looking for someone to somewhere to land at seven fifty seven. No, it's, it's it's just up there being the airborne early warning system. For what we don't know. Airborne mm. polar bears. That's why Canada's in NORAD. In the nineteen eighties, 
this five-man crew was reduced to a three-man crew and then a two-man crew, right? Because eventually they realized that you didn't need a fireman on a diesel locomotive. Um, but they also got rid of the caboose, right? So mm. cabise were abolished after the adoption of... Yes. <laughs> it's cabise. It's grammatically correct. Anyone who says otherwise I... is a fascist. Oh, boy. I, I think the uh, traditionalist Anglo-Saxon plural would be caboosin. What do you know? You're Scottish. Go away. <laughs> caboosin, cabise, not cabooses, were abolished no. after we really started adopting two-way radios and the invention of Fred. This is a guy. We just invented a guy named Fred. No, we replaced a guy with Fred. Yeah. The guy might also have been named Fred. That's true. Now, Fred is the flashing rear-end device, right? And it's, you know, it's at the end of the train, it makes a whirring sound, right? Uh, what? Yeah, if you ever hear a weird whirring sound at the end of a freight train, that's from the flashing rear-end device. Because in order to power its red light that blinks, there's a tiny wind turbine inside the Fred, which is attached to the air hose, which is part of the train's braking system, and it bleeds off air from the brakes... Uh, to power that wind turbine, to power the Fred. W wind turbines are fine, I guess, but that probably kills a lot of birds. They should power that with, like, a little nuclear reactor or something. That's a good point, and that may have helped out with what happened, but that's getting mm -hmm. ahead of myself. So, yeah, I mean, you could have... What's the, what's the like, radioisotope decay whatever? Oh, it's a radiothermoisotope generator, I believe. Yes, that one. Obviously something we should look into. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think we can all agree that whatever ends up happening with this one-man crew rural railroad, it would have been immensely improved by the addition of uh, fissile materials. Yes. It would have been way cooler, for one thing. So since this is bleeding off air to power itself, we got to talk a little bit about railroad air brakes, right? This is a representative diagram. You don't have to pay attention to it. Um, <laughs> all right. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's very so, simple. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, train air brake. I, 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 see, I see a thing in the middle there that just says cut out cock, and that's a mood. <laughs> <laughs> so, your train air brakes, right? There's a big tube of compressed air that runs the length of the train, right? That's your air line, right? Now, through a pneumatic device called a triple valve, you know, if there's a drop in pressure in the uh, airline that causes the brakes to apply on every car down the train via compressed air from an independent reservoir on each car. There's a reservoir on each car, but it's fed by the main train airline. Um, and that actuates a pneumatic cylinder that, that um, you know, applies the brakes, right? And um, so, so it's fail-safe, right? Because it needs positive action to keep the brake off. Yes, yeah? it is fail-safe. Ish. Fail-safe in quotes, I assume. Yeah. So, <laughs> under certain circumstances, which are sort of required based on railroad operations, if the train airline is unpressurized, the brakes will be released. And that's if, you know, say we're we're, we're trying to uh, shunt cars around in the yard. You don't want to have to, like, repressurize the airline every time you want to move the car. So... But that means if you're parking a train for a long time, right, you're supposed to apply handbrakes as a failsafe against the failsafe. 
And that makes sense. You you don't want to have like a train having no brakes, so you have two sets of brakes that fail safe. And I mean, what are the odds that both of those would would go wrong? We're gonna find out. So now this is this is a pretty good system. It's much better than the old system, which was a guy running along the top of the train to set the handbrakes. Um, which, by the way, is pretty much the only previous braking system to exist other than uh, air brakes. The Westinghouse air brake system, I believe, was patented in 1869, and it hasn't really changed since. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, prior to this, like, the only braking system you had was, like, trying to put your arm out of the locomotive and hope that, the, like, air resistance kind of slows it a bit. Yeah, exactly. Big spoiler. Big spoiler. And then there's there's sort of this thing called vacuum brakes as well, which was popular in England and nowhere else. Uh, we do love that. Thanks for nothing, Alice. <laughs> but um, so and one of the things about an air brake system is because you know it relies on air pressure sort of equalizing across a seventy eighty car train. Brakes are applied sequentially. Like if you pull the lever to apply in the locomotive, it starts to apply on the first car, and then the second car, and the third car, or fourth car. It might be a couple minutes before the brakes are applied through the whole train. Now, so anyway, we talked about the brakes. Fred siphons off some of this air to stay alive and flashes light, right? Fred can also <laughs> apply brakes from the rear in an emergency. Um, and Fred, of course, also relays some data about the train via radio to what's called the front-of-train device, uh, or uh, Wilma. What? Why, why Wilma? That doesn't... The Flintstones. Are you going with Fred and Wilma? Yeah. Yeah, it's the Flintstones. Oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. That's bad. That's real bad. <laughs> I don't like, like that. Excuse me, while I get up, walk the 20 feet to your room and beat you unconscious. I, I, I didn't come up with it. We, we have to get Fred and Wilma into a union, though. Yes. <laughs> Unionize the Flintstones. <laughs> Unionize tiny cubes on the back yeah. of the train. This is this is the this is the carbon rod in this situation. Why do you not believe in solidarity forever? Look, what is the worker but a cube on the end of a train? <laughs> what what strength on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one, Justin? Exactly. Inanimate carbon rod. No answer. No answer. What a surprise. So, thanks to Fred, we have two man crews as standard. Um, so I guess Fred kind of busted the union. Maybe Fred's bad. Uh, I don't know. Fre Fre Fred is a scab. Yeah. Then fucking fuck you, Fred. <laughs> fuck you, Fred. <laughs> yeah. Just hitting the Fred with a baseball bat. <laughs> now what we're what we're gonna do is we're gonna put a big scabby the rat thing on the back of every train, <laughs> just to like torment the Fred. <laughs> anyway, so now we have two man crews as standard. There's the engineer and the conductor, and this system works. The conductor's technically in charge of the train and the engineer drives it. And the conductor can take care of some problems in the train while the engineer stays in the cab and has access to controls, right? So, like, for instance, let's say if, um, you know, the train makes an unexpected stop um, and they're blocking a railroad crossing, well, then the conductor can walk to the, you know, location where they're blocking the railroad crossing uncouple the cars there the engineer can pull forward and unblock it right right and then like you know if someone falls asleep or has a medical emergency there's someone else there you know it's yeah. it's uh and also since you're not like allowed to listen to music or anything in the train you know you can keep each other entertained at the very least 
just general general utility. Sometimes you need a guy to like, I don't know, hit the outside of the train with a wrench or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. MMA got permission to run one-man crews, right, to save money and to keep operating. They're one of the, I think, only railroads to have successfully achieved one-man crewing because um, I'm not exactly sure how they got permission, but they did just because they were out of money. There must have been a hell of an oversight thing to let them uh, do that, right? Like, they had to have been so thoroughly inspected and regulated to do that? No. There's there's technically no regulation against having a one-man crew. It, this is something <laughs> that unions have kept in place, and only unions. That's wild. I mean... It's kind of like... One of these weird loopholes, I, I like the idea of them cross-pollinating and being like, yeah, you can have a single-person uh, train crew because it's technically farm work. You can just have your kid do it. <laughs> you can have a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently there is a permitting process, which requires public, public input, uh, but that wasn't followed. Uh, they were just kind of allowed to do it. Which is nuts to me. So there is a process in place which they just didn't have to do. Yeah, I mean, my my ex actually used to, uh, still is, a lawyer at the, um, whatever it's, whatever the rail part of the federal uh, Department of Transportation is. And pretty much all of her job was, like, legislating on uh, what a break is and what a break means and how long before you can have one. In very granular detail, uh, because railroad companies would push back on everything and be like, oh, well, this is, like, not a break, uh, because they, I don't know, like, they're still sitting in the train or whatever. And meanwhile, just going past the window is, yeah, we can just have one guy in there. Yeah. That's cool. If I drag a stick along the ground, that's a break. Yeah, <laughs> I guess technically yes. But... It's it's only a break if the um if the train operator gets to like push a big hoop around with a stick for <laughs> recreation. One of the things they did to facilitate this, though, which I don't think I've seen in many other railroads, I was certainly unfamiliar with this before I started researching. Um, they did some hokey pokey with remote control locomotives for local freights, right? So there'd be, like, a caboose that they would put behind the first locomotive that contained a computer, and that... Oh, hey, hell yeah, the Loco Troll. Yeah, and this... <laughs> that is the brand name, yes. And, and that would relay multiple unit controls to the locomotives it was attached to, so it was like a fake cab, uh, a fake locomotive cab that you controlled from, like, I don't know, an iPad or something. Um, it's just like running a bunch of Bitcoin miners in there. So I could like, if I were doing a local freight and I had to switch a car out, I could get out of the cab, flip the switch. Then while I was out of the cab, I could drive the locomotive backwards and move the car into the siding. That seems fine. Um... It worked. It didn't contribute to this particular accident, but I think it's worth mentioning. This was their practice. It's just to have a, a, a caboose full of, like... What even... You don't need that big a computer. It's not 1953 anymore. 
You don't need like a, a caboose computer. It's one. It was one of those old like I think it was HP or was it Gateway who had like the computers that had the sticker on them that said this computer is never obsolete. I think it was E machines. Well, is E machines? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's like, oh, that's that's bold mm. of you. My 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 future-proof train that can only be operated by an Amstrad emailer. So anyway, this railroad had been sold twice now because it was unprofitable. So they haven't been doing much maintenance on it. Uh, they're operating deteriorating locomotives on deteriorating tracks with one person out in incredibly remote Maine backcountry, and their quality of service is deteriorating. And, you know, things aren't looking up for the railroad. I believe there was an incident slightly before this where one of their biggest customers cut them off because um, uh, they just, you know, the, the rates were too high and they said the management were assholes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> in 2010, improvements to oil extraction suddenly meant it was finally profitable to extract oil from North Dakota's back in formation. Whoa. Hmm, we're fracking now, right? Since yes. the pipeline capacity was limited, um, most of this oil was shipped out by rail in these big 31,000-gallon DOT-111 tank cars. Which, fuck, they fail a lot, don't they? Yeah. Kind, kind of kind of aesthetic, though. Like, Yeah, that's it. Can't wait for one of those to just blow up the children's hospital we live next to. Yeah, this one is right next to Children's Hospital Philadelphia, where I took this picture. <laughs> Apparently, all I could find was that uh, uh, MMA entered into negotiations sometime in 2012 with both the United States government and the Canadian government uh, to reduce down to a single operator. And for whatever reason, they were just allowed to. Yeah, it's fine. That's um, not suspicious at all. It's just that they had the Justin Trudeau blackface photos before anybody else. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> I think their workforce was represented by the United Steelworkers for some reason, as opposed to a railroad union, so they may have had less organizing power against this specific... I don't know. I have no idea. In 2011, back in St. John the Irving Group of Companies decided to add a new rail terminal and import oil from North Dakota via their two railroads, the New Brunswick Southern and the Eastern Maine, which meant, of course, they would interchange with the Montreal, Maine, and Atlantic in Brownsville Junction. So suddenly, the International Railroad of Maine, which was almost dormant for decades, was a major shipping route. Hmm. But I mean, we 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 could have we could have avoided this by simply uh, building the Dakota Access Pipeline, a thing which famously had no problems. Oh, ab absolutely none. There's there's no problems with pipelines whatsoever. No, it was a great idea. Everybody loved it. Um, yeah, it 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 wasn't in any sense a lose lose sort of situation in terms of like extracting this stuff. We need to get we need to get out the goo that's going to kill everyone. Yes. Yeah, we, we need to do that. And also, we, we need to do it in a way that fucks everyone's tap water, uh, and then to move it, either have it in a bunch of railroad cars, or run a pipeline through, I don't know, a bunch of different, like, sovereign nations. That's cool. Yeah. Or, or you could truck it all, which is even worse. <laughs> yeah. So, MMA starts turning a profit for the first time, right? They started hiring people back, they bought some new-ish locomotives. They kept running one-man crews, though. Because one-man crews are the current holy grail of railroads across North America. Uh, North America excuse me. 
Um, you know, there's sort of a managed decline mentality in the railroad industry, you know, because they haven't really built anything new since 1916, except a couple lines to the Powder River Basin so they could grab some of that, you know, sweet coal. And so they think the only way to grow profits is through cost cutting, and the conductor is the most obvious cost to cut. But wait, don't forget that, uh, you know, before the derailment, they also repaired the lead, the lead locomotive which was a C-37 uh, with epoxy. They just hmm. repaired it with epoxy, which also failed in service and created excessive smoke. And then oil began to accumulate in the body of the turbo, where it overheated and caught fire the night of the derailment. So this is not exactly a railroad uh, paying attention to safety. And I believe they also uh, had, they, they failed to take advantage of millions of dollars of funding that they could have had. Uh, because all their railroad ties were fucked up and they didn't take the money that they were entitled to. So this is not a company that gives a shit about anything but reducing costs. They don't believe in handouts. Uh, yes. It, it really is a, it's a bootstraps kind of thing. Oh, yeah, that's it. I mean, the, th- the thing is, like, that if, if your grandpa owns one rail car and then you, like, uh, make money off of that and buy a second rail car, you just kind of keep doing that. There's no other way of having a railroad that's that's how you build a railroad yeah is you just buy mm-hmm. train after train after train it's it's, it's like castle like you, you... Hey, that's how the pennsylvania did it <laughs> just fine probably so uh the mma is like we're not going to give up these cost savings we we have uh we're still using one-man crews so here's where everything starts to come together on july 5th in the morning engineer tom harding picked up his train which was MMA Train 2, it's a train number, not the locomotive number, uh, in Farnham, 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 I don't know, Quebec. Farnham. 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 suck. He brought it over the railroad to Nantes, Quebec, where the next crew was supposed to pick it up. They pr- they're probably fucking perverse, and they pronounce that one like Nantes. Nantes, yeah. <laughs> this was 11 kilometers short of Lac Megantique, and it was downhill the whole way, uh, and it was about 11 in the evening, right? This train had five locomotives and 72 tank cars. Uh, the lead locomotive was this guy right here, uh, GEC 30-7, number... 5017, right? This is an older 16-cylinder diesel-electric locomotive. It's built around 1976-ish. And um, for whatever reason, a number of these locomotives were exported to Estonia. Uh, Oh. Yeah, just so there's one unbroken line between all of our podcasts. Of course. Uh, Yeah. So, And also, here's that remote-control caboose that I mentioned earlier. That's the um, the caboose behind that is the remote-controlled one with the Bitcoin miners in it. Yes. Yes. It's 2013. You can make a lot of money doing that. <laughs> yeah, almost as bad as uh, for the environment as the backend formation is. I believe also the Iranians, for whatever reason, had their hands on a bunch of C-30-7s. Uh, That's true, yes. The Iranians have a bunch. There's also some in South Korea, I think. Iran is so cool. Like, they keep those running, they keep the F-14 running. <laughs> Just, uh, basically, they're like a railroad museum, you know? You, d- nobody else appreciates this technology. Also, I'm, I'm doing, like, back-of-the-envelope math here, but 
You said 72 tank cars. Each one is uh, 31,000 gallons. Yeah. So that's uh, like two and a quarter million gallons of... uh... The goo that's going to kill us all, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Trains are good at moving stuff. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) The thing about GE locomotives is they're very famous for one particular feature, right? Is it moving stuff? No, they catch fire a lot. Um, so sort of the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. On this particular day, again, owing to repairs that Liam mentioned earlier, which were not well conducted, I think they were about eight months before the accident. Um, yes, they were. Yeah. 5017 decided it was time to throw a rod, <laughs> right? <laughs> so thick black smoke and oil spewing out of the stack. Uh, but at this point, Uh, Tom Harding, the engineer, his shift was over, right? He had to tie down the train and go to a hotel. Yeah, because you have that brake policy. He has to go and push the hoop around with the stick for eight hours. This is true, yes. We also like the railroad would get mad at him if he, like, tried to address the issue because they'd have to pay him overtime and shit, right? More Uh, overtime. There's four other locomotives on the head of this train, right? But 5017 was leading. So 5017 had to be the one left on for the night, to charge the braking system. I'm not exactly sure why it had to be 5017 that was left on, but I believe that... I, I think there was a reason why it was this locomotive that was left on, the one that was having problems. And they just left it by the side of a railroad, right? Or the side of a road, right? Just totally unsecured? Yes. Yeah, cool. So Harding set the handbrakes on the five locomotives... Uh, the remote control car and the buffer car between the locomotives and the tank cars. Now, MMA procedures required nine brakes to be applied, but Harding performed a brake test, and, you know, it seemed okay, right? Oh, no. Seemed like nothing nothing bad was going to happen, right? That's what happens if you leave the air brakes on. Shake hands with danger. Are we going to find out that uh, it's not actually or not entirely this guy's fault, though? Because I feel like that's kind of a recurring theme. And spoilers. Alright, so locomotives, trains uh, in general, will have as many as four braking systems, right? There's the train brake that applies air brakes across the whole train. The independent brake, which applies the brakes only on the locomotive. There's the dynamic brake, which is interesting because it basically rewires the electric traction motors in... uh, you know, that power of the wheels, it turns the motors into generators, and the generators, you know, they, they generate a shitload of electricity to slow the train, and then that's all sent up here to a big set of radiators where it's just burned off as heat. I mean, if you wanted to generate electricity using the wheels, it would be a lot more efficient to have a nuclear reactor on each wheel. Now, you you could do that, but because it's a Carnot heat engine, I think it would make more sense to have one large one. Ah, I see. Yeah. A serious engineering talk. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, there's the handbrake right here. I'm circling a little wheel if you're just listening. The handbrake, in most circumstances, is a big wheel you turn, right? And that applies the brakes. On some locomotives, there's like a lever you gotta pump, which takes forever and crews hate it. Um, I think we now have electric handbrakes where you push a button, and then the backup is the fucking lever you gotta pump that everyone hates. Um, (laughs) Plus, you can't do any sweet handbrake turns with the electric handbrakes. That's the worst part. How are you supposed to go drifting? 
Just doing donuts, yeah. Multi-track drifting. <laughs> yeah, I, ha- I hate when I get a new train and I just end up doing donuts in the shunting yard with it. Yeah, you hate that. It makes you cool, Alice. <laughs> That's actually what they have the turntables for, is just so you can, like, drift in circles. Um, so one of the flaws in sort of handbrake systems on most trains, now we got electric handbrakes, this isn't the same is that how hard you apply the brakes uh, varies based on how big and muscular you are. Because it's just mechanical. Because it's all mechanical, yeah. That's right? promising, good. So if you're not a big muscular guy, you need to set more handbrakes. And then, you know, obviously that can result in some, like, macho issues, you know? Like, oh, I don't need to set that many handbrakes. I'm a big, tough guy, you know? It's like... <laughs> It sounds kind of more like that's a problem with engineers on trains, but okay. The other thing, of course, is you got to apply them individually on every locomotive. You might. Oh, uh, so yeah, it's a pain in the ass. It's a pain in the ass to do, yeah. Which takes like what two, three minutes to actually set the handbrakes. Yeah, and you're doing it at the end of your shift. It's like you know, and you're, and you're on an incline, and mm-hmm. and you you're having to fucking jerk off this lever. Yeah, and the, the and the lo- and the railroad's gonna chew you out if you take too long because you're gonna be fucking against regulations or something. But um, yeah, but it's not against regulations to leave a parked freight train running unattended, holding dangerous materials on the main line on a slope in the vicinity of residents. Yes. Okay. Cool. Good. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> so Harding performs the brake test and figures he's set enough brakes to hold the train. Even though it's fewer than the nine required by MMA regulations, right? Well, he he tested it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, he tested it. It was it was fine. It's it's not like he was just like blowing it off. He just, you know he he put on a bunch of brakes and then he tested the brakes and it didn't move. So oh, and don't forget that Transport Canada reprimanded the MMA, uh, two thousand four, two thousand nine, two thousand eleven, and two thousand twelve. Uh, for violations of the Canadian Rail Operating Rules, Section 112, for handbrake, reti- handbrake excuse me, requirements on part trains in Nantes, uh, and no fines have been issued. So hmm. that's super tight. So they've been doing this for fucking years. Yeah, so that's just the procedure now. Not officially, but... So we're looking at an aerial of Nantes. <laughs> and uh, Nantes has a siding where Harding could have left the train, right? That's uh, over here, right? The siding, there's a second track, right? You can leave the train there. And that second track had a derail set so that the train moved unexpectedly while it was unattended. It wouldn't make it to the main line, right? There'd be like, it, w- it would just sort of go on the ground, the first two locomotives, that should stop the whole thing, right? So um, this siding was being used to store empty boxcars. Oh, good. Yeah. So <laughs> famously much more dangerous to the main line than uh, a like two million oil gallons yes. of oil. Yeah. So Harding left the locomotive. I believe it was right here where I put this big arrow. But then I looked later, and it may have been further down the road. I'm not sure. But um, he he parked the locomotive on the main line, right? And you know he. He tied down the train. He called dispatch. He was like, "Look, this this train's uh, you know, spewing you know, smoke and flames, and like, 
it's it's well not flames yet um it it, it seems like this is a bad idea and dispatcher's like yeah hey, we'll deal with it in the morning you know so sure yeah so he tied it down he left around um 11 o'clock in the evening and around 11 50 in the evening is when the first 911 calls came in right before we get there i would like to point out that he uh the engineer told uh he took a taxi to his hotel told the taxi driver that he felt unsafe leaving a running locomotive uh spitting oil and smoke and he wanted to call the u.s office of mma so that they could tell him what to do and he was also apparently covered in drops of oil which were also covering the windscreen of that taxi yikes yeah this just gets worse (laughs) I, i i feel bad for this guy actually uh this is not great and it kind of sounds like he realized it was not great and was then uh, stuck in a series of like uh, bad decisions with no good options yes yes so around 11:50 in the evening 5017 caught fire proper right um or that's when the first 911 calls about it happened so the firemen showed up they shut off the engine they extinguished the fire, right? Um, MMA didn't let Harding back to the site. I'm not sure if he knew about it or if he's like, uh, you know, if he somehow found out about it. I don't know, but they wouldn't let him back to the site. And instead, they sent a track maintenance guy out to help out with the situation, right? This track maintenance guy didn't know how air brakes worked, and he didn't see the problem developing. Now... As it turns out, Harding had done the brake test incorrectly. When he did uh, the brake test, the independent brakes were still holding the train, not the hand brakes. Now, these brakes, plus the train air brakes, were no longer being charged. Because they turned off the fucking locomotive when they put the fire out. Yeah, because they didn't want you know more oil flowing in to feed the yeah. fire, right? Um, and actually... I need to use the restroom. I'll be back. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> it's fine. We just leave all of this in. Yeah, I I am in favor of leaving all of this in. Yeah. Uh, you can hear him using it in my in my feed too. Uh, also, <laughs> that's, that's I, a little bonus for the fans. Yes, you can hear him pee. Thank God. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing too is that uh, the. Uh, rail traffic controller of uh, the MMA was apparently warned of the train having difficulties while it was still in Nantes. Mm. And uh, yeah, this was my favorite thing. They just like they end up leaving the fire. They just they just kind of let it burn, like like the like they the put, song. They put it out, and the track maintenance boys are like, "Yeah, everything's fine. Everything everything is fine. Nothing is bad." <laughs> This is, literally, he did the This Is Fine comic with the little dog. Yes, literally that. The fire is the same. (laughs) Wonderful. Alright, now it is my time to read on air the fanfics I have of Do Not Eat. (laughs) I think you should absolutely not stop reading the fanfics. I'm gonna, I, I can confirm that fanfics do exist and he has never read them but i sure as hell have (laughs) are they good no 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 they're not good (laughs) he's gonna end up 
Are we in take them? This or... No, no. These were written when he was just out of, co- or he was still in college, I think. Are you mm. talking about the fanfics? <laughs> Christ! What do you care? You're gonna, you're gonna take it all out anyway. That's <laughs> oh, true. Uh, also, I said a bunch of slurs. Oh, okay. hundreds of them. Good. I just list. I just listed which of the slurs are my favorite. <laughs> well, we're, we are a dirtbag left uh, podcast, so that's you know, true. That's true. Yeah. Got to do more slurs. I'm, I, I'm actually. I, I was doing the red scare thing where I just say that I'm trans as a bit. I see. Fucking yikes. Don't do that, folks. <laughs> Praxis. Praxis. Alright, I'm back. Um, for those of you who didn't notice. So, anyway. Um, so, the, the the locomotive was shut down, right? If you ever stood by a, a locomotive and you heard, you know, it going... You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, it, that's the air compressor going. You know, it goes mm-hmm. intermittently, right? So that was no longer going. There's nothing charging the air brakes. So our friend Fred, bastard, yeah, bastard. Fred the scab, he's a scab. yeah, yeah, and he's, a, and he's a class trader. Fred kept diligently flashing his light on the end of the train. Thank God for that. Now without a compressor charging the braking system, and after about an hour, Fred's light started to get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and it went out. And the train quietly slipped away into the night. But I thought the brakes were fail-safe. Ish. Did you not hear fail-safe in quotes? <laughs> I don't know if you're taking this out from the uh, slurzo-rama we did earlier, but uh, at 12.13am, uh, two MMA tra- uh, track maintenance employees had arrived from Lockback Antique, and the firefighters left the scene as the MMA employees... Uh, told them that everything was fine. Yeah, we 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 said it was the this is fine Casey Green comic. It's literally surrounded by columns of flame, but we'll get there in a minute. Jean Luc Montminy, Montminy. God, I don't know. It's French. <laughs> Jean Luc Picard, a firefighter, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was driving home from extinguishing the fire, right? And he stopped at a grade crossing, and the lights started flashing, right? Like there was a trade coming. The gates went down, and he was waiting for a while. The train didn't seem to show up. He didn't hear a horn. He didn't see any lights. So he thought, maybe it's a malfunction, right? So he, he drove around the gates. and just barely cleared the intersection as the Montreal, Maine, and Atlantic train number two screamed through the crossing, lights off, unoccupied, sparks flying from the wheels. At 65 miles an hour. Yeah. Which is triple the typical speed. That's an album cover of just this, like, (laughs) fucking, like, entirely darkened train just throwing off sparks. So, events begin to unfold quite rapidly, right? Yeah, you don't say. Yeah. So, we got an aerial view of uh, Lac Megantique before the incident here, right? So you got train two direction of travel. He's coming in hot here. He's going to go around this corner, right? This curve here, right? Right. So this is not a particularly tight curve, right? Um, Under a lot of circumstances, taking this at 65 would be risky, but not, you know, uh, it it probably wouldn't throw the train off the tracks. But uh, 
MMA, of course, is suffering from years and years of deferred maintenance, right? Of course. This is now what we call accepted track, right? And accepted track means that, you know, you can run trains at 10 miles an hour over this because the track's such bad quality. And you have to do an annual risk assessment to say, all right, can we still run trains on this? Um, so, you know... Thus, all the track management guys hanging around this burning train. Yeah, exactly. So, like, it's like a dirt road, but for trains. It doesn't matter how straight it is. You can't go that fast, right? Train 2 is about to try and take this curve on accepted track at about 65 miles an hour. Oh, good. Hmm. I feel the need for speed. I'll read a quote from uh, the Wikipedia, right? Just before the derailment... Witnesses recalled observing the train passing through the crossing at excessive speed with no locomotive lights. Uh, Metal. Infernal noise and sparks Metal. being emitted from the wheels. Metal. was also stated by witnesses <laughs> that since the train was going so fast, the flashing lights and bells on the crossing didn't activate. I know this is about to get real bad in a second, but I, I just want to airbrush that on the side of a van. Like, <laughs> that's that's a striking visual. I have a van you could buy. Hmm. I've been in the van. We did it to go buy the president's stuff in Atlantic City. Yes, we did. Yeah. And then the engine blew up, much like uh, what's what's happening to uh, our friends in Black Bag <laughs> That That'll be a bonus episode. It's Liam's van. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Just the Grover House of Vans. It is. Yeah, It's it's it was never not a mistake. So, uh, Gilles Fluet is, oh, is some French French garbage. <laughs> yeah. Gilles, 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 Gilles Fluet. Yes, Jean Claude Jean Claude du Blackface du du racisme de Islamophobie. <laughs> Habsuck. Uh, he was he was uh, a guy sitting at the Musée Cafe, which I've conveniently put on the slide here a while back. If you were wondering about why that showed up. I was leaving the the cafe just before the derailment, and he said, he saw the train, he said the wheels were smoking with lots of white smoke. Now, the runaway train passed 50 meters, 160 feet behind it, moving at highway speed. Traveling with no signals, the train jumped the track, sending a river of burning oil into the lake. Massive. Uh, the man, uh, he said, uh, it was moving at a hellish speed. No lights, no signals, nothing at all. There was no warning. It was a black blob that came out of nowhere. I realized they were oil tankers and they were going to blow up. So I yelled to that uh, to my friends and uh, I got out of there. If we had stayed where we were, we would have been roasted. Boom, roasted. That's how I would have wanted to die when I was like 14. And I was like, what's the most epic way I could get killed is just be incinerated by like a speeding freight train killed by <laughs> capitalism yeah it'll happen anyway so well, that, that's true but it'll probably happen in a really like the really boring and depressing way where like yeah. the air pollution gets me or something whereas this all sound all fury uh, probably not even going to be aware of it like th there's nothing lingering about this I suspect so anyway, pay attention to the slide, unless, of course, you're listening on Apple Podcasts or something else, in which case you can't see the slide. And I'm going to switch to the next one, right? This was the day after the accident. You can see the Musée Café uh, definitely did not fare well. You can see all of the tanker cars here. 
You can see a lot of buildings not in good shape, right? Yeah, doesn't look good. Yeah. So uh, Megan Teek's entire downtown was caught in the ensuing firewall. Uh, back in crude oil, of course, is light crude oil, right? That means it's it's not very viscous, it readily vaporizes, and especially it readily ignites. Um, it's the good stuff, right? Yeah, that's why, we, that's why we love it. We build our whole society on it. Back in crude oil is notably explosive even by light crude oil standards, right? Jesus. This is one of the reasons that, why the explosion was very big. That whole field is just... I, I think it might be cursed or something. Because just from start to finish, miserable. Immiserating thing. Like, it, it, towns full of, like, rig workers who, like, get stupidly drunk and, like, murder each other. Uh, pipelines killing people, the fucking trains killing people, the environmental contamination killing people. It is, it is awful. I just noticed this from the aerial image. It looks like it derailed the train further down the line here that was just parked there. You just, you just get pissed off because you lose your, like, no claims bonus on your train because it just got <laughs> dinged in this, like, fucking fireball. The the oil that didn't immediately explode leaked out of the 63 piled-up tank cars, and it formed a one-and-a-half million-gallon lake of fire, right? I mean, yeah, it's still, still epic, right? Like, this is... <laughs> this is a hell of a disaster, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's one way to go out. Um... So oil starts flowing into the uh, the town's storm sewer system, and columns of flame start shooting out of manholes. Right? That's that's how we get rid of that motherfucker, Pennywise. <laughs> so heat from the flame is felt two kilometers away. Right? Yeah, just a hundred and fifty firefighters from across Quebec and Maine are deployed to the scene. The fire was not contained until early afternoon the next day. You don't you don't say like. That's, like, a, a million gallons of oil per firefighter. Yeah. <laughs> or, is 100,000? 10,000. Excuse me. I, I, I don't know. You're the math guy. I just fucking, like, talk about what I want to airbrush on the side of vans. That's, that's famously not a skill set that needs a lot of, like, analytical uh, skills. I always told Liam it'd be funny if he got, like, the solo cup design airbrushed on the side of the van. Buy my van and you can do whatever you want to it. <laughs> buy buy Liam's van, everyone. Mm, it's, good, it's a good van, except when it's broken, which it is. It comes with two engines. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. The, the LS mm -hmm. swap didn't work out. No. You're going to get people on the Twitter telling you to post van pics now. It's a good van. It is a good van. It's a really good van, apart from Thank being you. broken. So, um, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Now, uh, Tom Harding, who was staying in a hotel... Uh, near the scene was like, uh, well, th that's not gone well. Uh, now he helps some folks from a local industry, um, which is, which was, I think, I don't remember what kind of factory it was, but it was up the siding. The racism here. factory. Yeah. The dick sucking factory. Yeah. The dick sucking factory, which had a rail spur for shipping the dicks in, um, <laughs> <laughs> they got they got a track mobile, which is this um this thing that can run on the rail or on the road. And was that the trolley? Yeah, it was. I, yeah, I heard that on the microphone. Was, oh the my god! Same. Yeah. So anyway, they they drive the track mobile down to the railroad crossing, 
and they pull away all of the tank cars, which are still intact, as the fire is raging. Wow. Yeah. So I, I think they got some firefighters to spray some water on it, so it'd be less likely that it would blow up. But, you know, that's a hell of a thing to do, yeah. I'll say, yeah. And just just being out and that, just fucking, like, singeing all the hairs off your arms while you're doing it, this is, One of the local hospitals uh, was like, okay, we're code orange right now. We're expecting a mass casualty event, right? Those casualties never showed up, right? A Canadian Red Cross volunteer said, well, there's no wounded. They're all dead. I mean, you could do a lot worse. Like, we've seen a, a couple of things doing this so far where people just get, like, trapped and, like, die horribly over periods of days or weeks. Just getting fucking incinerated instantly as as far as these things go i i know which one i'd choose yeah i mean it's like it's like you know you're drunk you're having a nice time at the bar and then just suddenly you're 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 incinerated you're probably not having a nice time it's a place called the music cafe in fucking the middle of quebec it's probably awful (laughs) (laughs) you're like listening to some guy with a soul patch like fuck up blues guitar and you're just like please kill me that could be a rage. <laughs> Somebody thought that too hard, and then, yeah. So, anyway, the fire burned for two days. 2,000 people were evacuated. When the smoke cleared, 42 people were dead. Five were missing and presumed dead, possibly vaporized. Um, 30 buildings had been destroyed, and there was extensive soil contamination, which effectively condemned the rest of the town, right? Hmm, because it just fucking poisoned everything. Yes. So, in the initial investigation, uh, the benzene contamination was so strong that investigators had to work in 15-minute shifts, right? Benzene is like a really nasty carcinogen, which is also very good for raising octane ratings in gasoline. Everything which is good at raising octane ratings in gasoline is immensely bad for you, but that's another episode. It's it's one of those few chemicals that even the oil industry would admit back in, like, 1949 that, oh yeah, there's actually no safe concentration of benzene. Mm. I mean, l- luckily back then they were controlling it with, like, high doses of lead. Yes. Yes, tetraethyl lead was the safer alternative. I mean, this is... The, having people working in, like, highly timed, minutized shifts to minimize contamination, that's something that as we learned from our favorite show, Chernobyl, only happens under socialism, right? So I don't understand why this is... It's because Canada is socialist. Ah, okay, yeah. The People's Republic of Canada. People's Republic of Massachusetts. Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, and don't forget that uh, two of the three local notary offices were destroyed by fire, and only one of their document vaults uh, survived the blaze. In a bit of irony, the last will and testament of some of the victims uh, was also up in flames. Hmm. Just get... That's a, that's a nice metaphor. Just get everything about you totally incinerated by capital. Yeah. And uh, they had to have trucks carrying drinking water. And there was a boil water advisory. And then they dragged their feet uh, fixing the place. Yeah. It's fucking rad. Oh, and, and also, uh, another thing I forgot to mention is that on this train that derailed, um, the derailment started at the buffer box car between the um, locomotives and the oil tank cars, right? Mm-hmm. The 
five locomotives on the train just sailed on through and came to a stop uh, about a, a kilometer away. Still in service? <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, I figures. I mean, you didn't yeah, want to waste were... them, right? Like... Yeah, exactly. They were, they, they were fine. <laughs> I mean... GE, build a bright. Y- you know who the real hero here is? Is whoever made the one document vault that survived being hit by, like, a million a and a half. A fire tornado, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I want to fucking... That's good. You can't buy that advertising. 36 of the remaining 39 buildings in downtown Lac Magantique had to be demolished. One of the only significant old buildings left is, ironically, the train station. <laughs> uh, which hasn't seen a passenger train since 1994, when uh, Canadian Pacific sold off the line. Thanks for having CP. So, um, you know, what happens after this? Well, you know, the, the next to Ken file a bunch of lawsuits against MMA, uh, Western Petroleum, who were leasing the tank cars, Irving Oil, who were being shipped the oil, Canadian Pacific, who handed off the cars to MMA, Union Tank Car Company, who owned the tank cars, and Trinity Rail Group, who manufactured the tank cars, and then General Electric Capital Rail Services, which was involved in some way, which I don't fully understand, which, um, you know, that that's how rail car leasing works. I don't understand it. Um, they, basically, they sued that one office building in Delaware that contains every company on Earth. Uh, yeah. Yeah, basically. They just do service with to, like... A miracle on 34th Street sack of different summonses, but it all goes to the one address. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> we live Absolutely. in a, such an efficient system, don't we? So those lawsuits are still ongoing. Uh, we don't know. We, that hasn't determined who is at fault. Of course. Um, of course they are. I, I assume they, they're... They, they, you just wait them out. Like, it, if you have the lawyers to do that, you're just going to have it keep rumbling on for another in 20 years time it still will be undetermined oh yeah so the town still hasn't really rebuilt some of the main street businesses whose owners uh survived the uh, incident um they moved over here to this new lifestyle center i guess you'd call it gross yeah i know right (laughs) including including i believe I... i believe music cafe is still here doesn't have air conditioning. It does have air conditioning. Well, if it uh, has air conditioning, it... then it's not a lifestyle center; it's a mall. Uh, the outside isn't air conditioned, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that attitude. Yeah. Criminal investigations against the engineer, operations manager, and rail traffic controller uh, involved in this incident uh, went to trial eventually for forty-seven counts of criminal negligence causing death. All of them were acquitted. I know a fact about this, by the way, uh, which I think reflects quite well on the people of Lac Megantic, which is that when they were bringing them into the courthouse, uh, the people were yelling to the media that uh, the the railroad employees weren't the people that they wanted, uh, because they didn't hold them responsible, they held the company responsible. And I think that's like a... Uh, a salutary. I appreciate that solidarity. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, Canadian Transportation Safety Board, as Liam mentioned earlier, uh, determines that MMA's uh, regulations on handbrakes were insufficient. It wasn't nine handbrakes that should have been set. Uh, it was seventeen to twenty-six handbrakes 
depending on how macho you were about setting the handbrakes, I guess. Mm. Yeah, se se 17 is like the soy boy number. Yes. <laughs> In sort of in response to this incident, though, there's a big, you know, there's there's popular opinion of the DOT 111 car, which I'm sure was a very popular subject beforehand. Uh, re really, we start to turn away from the DOT 111 car. We get the DOT 117 car, right? Oh, that's mm. six more. Thank God. Twenty two hundred and eighty six thousand pounds. Go is again same. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. It's now nine sixteenths of an inch thick, as opposed to the previous seven sixteenths of an inch thick, right? I believe the head shield goes to half an inch. I don't know what it was before. Um, it's um, there's a few other safety improvements, right? Um, and these are now the only legal tank cars to build as of October first, twenty fifteen. But a lot of tank cars out there are the older DOT one eleven. Um, specification which has been around since like the 1960s i think um and they won't all be upgraded or retired until 2025 cool well you gotta make it six more years folks what did we learn here uh, this is this is black magantique before the incident um train engineers more or less good train companies bad yes mm -hmm. I have some quotes, actually, that I've just found from after the end of the, the criminal trial of these guys. Uh, the mayor of Lac Megantic, Julie Morin, said, you'd like the French flourish I put on that. Julie Morin said, the company, MMA, had a big role to play in this. It's impossible that three men alone created what happened to us. Uh, I feel relieved because these are not the right people who should be there. Uh, Harding, Demetrio, and Labrie didn't deserve to be blamed. These are human beings with families who worked hard all their lives. These aren't killers. We treated them like killers. That's admirable solidarity, I think. Yeah. They're very, very nice people in uh, Black Magenta. I'm sure if this happened in America, there'd be people praying for, you know, like, let, let, let's let's hang someone, you know? Uh, this, <laughs> is, this is, like, the most, uh, the darkest version of the Canadian joke is that somebody crashes a freight train into your town and you apologize. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, as you're spraying whatever weird fireproof material you had to import. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're just, you're just, like, foaming it all down, and you're just like, yeah, it was my bad, uh... But I mean, there's there's an incredible amount of things that went wrong to to make this happen, right? You know, if the siding hadn't been blocked, the derail would have stopped the train from moving. If the locomotive had been properly maintained, it wouldn't have caught fire. Well, probably it's a GE product, but you know, <laughs> it, it it probably didn't help that they like had just like super glued it together. The engineer had set the handbrakes properly, or if he had a second person to catch the error, I think that's the biggest issue here. Yeah, is or that e not... even if they'd let him stay. Yeah, longer. if they let him stay and say, uh, "Let's let's make sure nothing bad happens here." Yeah, just pay the fucking overtime, you know. If the track in Lac Magantique hadn't been accepted, if they were still running the Atlantic Limited, the passenger train from Montreal to Saint John. That would still be sixty mile an hour track. It it wouldn't have it wouldn't have derailed. No, you um, just would have had an even an extremely epic thing of a fucking freight train with all of the lights off screaming through town. I mean it probably would have rolled out and then rolled back and then yeah, rolled all, back awesome. out. Um 
And, you know, if the tank cars had been designed adequately for the volatile cargo that they carried, I mean, I don't think anyone had fully appreciated how explosive back in crude oil was until this incident. You know, the, th the thing is, we live in capitalism, and as such, the railroad is a business, right? And businesses have varying degrees of success, and sometimes they, you know, they cut costs, they cut corners to stay afloat, right? Yeah, and that's, that's built in. That's something that even regulators are kind of uh, loath to interfere with, because that's like, that's part of healthy competition, and it's, it remains healthy until it just incinerates you and all your friends. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like when when a company that like makes an app that lets you tr keep track of your farts or something. Yes. <laughs> has uh, I've read it. <laughs> has some problems. You know, that's not such a big deal, right? Right. Unless you work there, of course, in which case, you know, you, you might be out of a life and livelihood. But if the railroad is struggling and cutting and deferring maintenance, it puts us all in danger who live near the railroads and rely on them for transportation. You know? Hey, when, that's me. Yeah. When the railroad shakes hands with danger... <laughs> shake hands with danger... Uh, we all do. Hmm. Getting a reach around from danger. Yes. Yes, please. Get fisted with danger. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. That's bad. That's bad. I might cut that. No. <laughs> cut cut nothing, including all the slurs. Le yeah, leave that in for the patrons. <laughs> On that bombshell. Uh ha. 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 I'm Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. End it end it now. Ah. Uh, Next episode's, of course, on the Tacoma Narrows Bridge disaster, which we were going to do yesterday, but of course Alice didn't show up. Yeah, that was so. my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> Way to go, I, I fucked Alice. up, but next time we're going to do the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Yes. Yes, so... Uh, we were this close. All right, so uh, it's the end of the podcast, so I guess we do the pitches now. Uh, listen to Trash Future, available wherever podcasts are available. Oh, and also we have a live show coming up in London at the uh, beginning of December for a, like, election or shortly uh, post-election thing. So, more details about that anon. I thought for a second you meant that we had a live show. And I was just like, I would have loved to have been told about this. <laughs> no, I was about to say. Yeah, that's, uh, once, once the, that should be a Patreon goal, actually, is fucking getting me to philadelphia and doing a live show for this just in our living room where yeah. we, we could really screw around we'll, we'll all go to london ontario and do a live show there <laughs> yeah just, just no we'll, we'll work out great circle what's precisely equidistant between glasgow and philadelphia and do it in fucking like i don't know uh, northern greenland no all right we're all going to st john's yeah going back going back yeah, to newfoundland hell yeah, hell yeah. I need to pitch my YouTube channel because this is on the new channel yep. and or on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcasts are sold because we're adults now. Uh, mm. So my, my YouTube channel is Do Not Eat. Uh, I talk about urban planning and socialism and other stuff and also make jokes. Um, so go check that out. Uh, there'll be a link in the description to everyone's stuff. Uh, cool, wrap this up. Uh, I am Liam Anderson. Uh, you can follow me on 
the bad website at Old Man Anderson. Uh, it's just a lot of me getting mad about national security uh, and generally, I don't know, being really rude to people in the podcast replies because I have nothing better to do with my time. Oh, and pronouns are he, him, just just to fucking rub it in there one more <laughs> oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also, pronouns he, him. Uh, she, her. It is International Men's Day. That's true. We have we have we have two kings here who we respect greatly. Uh, we fought a war over this, Alice. I don't know if you remember this, but we kicked your ass. <laughs> remember, surrender at Yorktown. We forgot to make the loyalist jokes when we were talking about Saint John. Oh yeah, a whole bunch of losers clustered into one fucking space, and also give Massachusetts its mace back, you dickheads. <laughs> they have Massachusetts's yes. mace. They have colonial Massachusetts's mace from the state house uh which the loyalists took with them and have never given it back if if they want if you wanted it back you should have won the war of 1812 i don't know what to tell you <laughs> we didn't lose the war of 1812 <laughs> the first war america didn't lose <laughs> of many <laughs> yeah I, I i love to like see the huey evacuating the cia agents from the roof of the american embassy in ottawa <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess, uh, to be fair, at least someone did lose the War of 1812, which was Tecumseh's Confederacy. No white people won, but the uh, the natives lost, which, thank God, would never happen again. No, and I mean, yeah, the Dakota Access Pipeline, yeah, another one of those wins. Well, think, if we had the Dakota Access Pipeline, this disaster probably still would have occurred. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because that because that oil doesn't that that pipeline would not have gone to St. John, New Brunswick. No, the the only way to avoid this would to have would be to do Justin Trudeau's program of a pipeline literally everywhere. Uh, it's a pipeline full of shoe polish. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just you you have the crude, and it'll be right next to the water pipe, so you'll just get like an oil hookup. It's fine. A refinery in every home. <laughs> yes, yes. I am ready for my home refinery and backyard, backyard nuclear reactor. <laughs> right, if you have the backyard nuclear reactor, you don't you don't need the refinery. No, it's, it's belt and suspenders. It, it, <laughs> Maybe it's redundancy. Redundancy. Is it redundancy? redundancy I'm gonna come in there. Well. I'm gonna come in there and kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the podcast done. Uh, since Liam is now going to kill me. Sorry, bud. Rest in power, Justin. Yes, please enjoy my new podcast, uh, Franklin, <laughs> uh, which I am turning into a podcast because I don't know how to work uh, at City Skylines. So uh, look forward to that, everybody. Uh, th again, again, nothing suspicious happening here. <laughs> it is I, Do Not Eat, from Beyond the Grave. <laughs> yes. All right, bye, everyone. Bye. bye, everyone. Shake hands with danger. Hurry up and get it done. Takes two men to move this same, but I'll make do with one.